Welcome to the Coffee with Chris podcast. Just dark enough to be thought-provoking and just light enough to be funny. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Thurber, psychologist and professional educator, or so they tell me. Okay, I've got mine. I hope you've got yours. Let's get started. Today's guest is Bonnie Harris, author of When Your Kids Push Your Buttons. I don't know what she's talking about. It's never happened in my house. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you, Chris. Nice to be here. So I'm going to read a bit of your bio for any listeners who might not have heard of you. Uh, Bonnie has been a child behavior and parenting specialist for 30 years. And based on her highly acclaimed books, When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and Confident Parents, Remarkable Kids, Eight Principles for Raising Kids You'll Love to Live With. Bonnie offers individual parent counseling, parenting workshops, professional trainings, and speaking engagements internationally. She's the mother of two grown children. She lives here in the great state of New Hampshire, uh, where she founded the Parent Guidance Center, now the River Center. Her website is www.bonnieharris.com, and she's on Facebook, facebook.com slash connective parenting. And you'll hear more about some of Bonnie's resources and a reminder of how to contact her at the end of today's podcast. So Bonnie, super glad that you were able to join me for this podcast today. And I have to say that when we first talked on the phone and you mentioned the notion of kids pushing buttons, I was intrigued. Um, As I told you, I have two kids of my own who are 15 and 17. And Mm -hmm. like all kids, they sometimes push my buttons. Mm -hmm. Most of our listeners are youth development professionals of some ilk. They are either professional educators or they are camp professionals and uh, think they can all relate to this notion of having our buttons pushed and you've even developed a 12 hour audio course on buttons being pushed. So before we launch into some examples, can you maybe describe a little bit what you mean by the notion of somebody's buttons being pushed? And I'm also intrigued to ask how you came up with this topic. Yes, I came up with it because uh, when I first started working with parents, I developed a course called the Effective Parenting Workshop for parents of one to five-year-olds. And uh, I had I put together everything I knew. I developed this course full of great communication skills and understanding temperament, which was a really big uh, topic for me because of my two children who are about as much alike as day and night. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, I had all this stuff in a, in a 10 week course and I taught it over and over again. And invariably at about the third or fourth week in to the course, mm-hmm. someone would say, and, and they had all been loving this and, you know, kind of knocking their heads and saying, why didn't I think of this? This makes so much sense. I can't wait to get home and try it out, blah, blah, blah. So about the third or fourth weekend, somebody would sheepishly raise their hand and say, well, this is all well and good, but now I feel worse than ever. Oh. And I, of course, 
went to thinking, oh my God, I'm not teaching this right. <laughs> <laughs> it's having or the, the opposite effect. That's right. Yeah. Other was, well, you're not practicing it enough. You just, you have to practice this because this is new, you know, this is new stuff for most of us. And yeah. you've got to really practice, practice, practice. And, um, but it's still, it just kept happening. And then one day I witnessed a, an incident between my husband and my daughter and and I saw it and it was like, oh my God, that's it. Wow. It's when you're, it's because their buttons are getting pushed and that just flashed in my head. I of course hadn't connected it to when my daughter pushed my buttons. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> hadn't, hadn't put that together yet. Um, but, what was the actual incident? Can you describe that for us? Oh, it was, it was taking, he was taking her to school. Uh -huh. And she was being slow and dawdling. And instead of blowing up, which he didn't do all that much, he went in with a very uh, sort of passive aggressive way of reacting to her. She was just, you know, she had said some snarky remark and he, you know, reacted. And I just, it was from a familiar pattern between the two of them. And okay. I just got it, you know. And, um, so, but I didn't know where to go with that. I just got it, that it's when your buttons get pushed. You can't put these skills into practice. Yeah. And so I started teaching courses called Diffusing Your Buttons. And I literally learned the process from listening to all of the parents in my classes. And then I put it all together with some psychology that, um, models and it all just gelled and then I just had to write the book and the book is filled with real stories from all the parents in my groups that's awesome I mean and, I love the way you've humanized the process because it can be intimidating to go to a parenting course or read a parenting blog or just hear from a peer who is having some success as a parent and feel worse. Um, but by, by making it explicit that, wow, yeah, sometimes at the most unexpected moments, our kids enrage us is, yes. is really humanizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then of course I put it together with my daughter who was my major button pusher <laughs> and she was, I have, my first was my son, who was just an easygoing, happy-go-lucky kid. You know, yeah. everything just came easily to him. And I, of course, thought it was my brilliant parenting and that I was the best parent on earth. <laughs> and then four and a half years later, my daughter came along and it was like, oh my God, <laughs> what has happened? Yeah. What has happened here? Well, so how do we understand what a button is? I mean, I right. think we understand the idiom, but what is... Yes, yes, this is... Metaphor? I don't know. This isn't an English podcast, but what is a button? <laughs> what is a button? And that's, the, that's a really good question to start off with because typically we think that our children are doing this to us. 
and and then we react because there's nothing you, if you're making me mad if you're making me need to yell 20 times yeah then you my child are the one who's doing this and it's not that at all okay yes, so it's, it, it's a child may be doing something that's annoying but how it affects you is all up to you so the button this is jumping ahead in the process here yeah, but it's yeah. a great way to start your button is an old belief that uh -huh. you hold deeply inside that comes from your childhood wow so and that's why people have different buttons okay that's why some a child's behavior that can be just enraging to one parent is mean is nothing to another it's no big deal yeah. at all yeah right and it comes from so those so those beliefs we take in and hopefully we'll get uh, get to explain it yeah but those beliefs we take in come uh, we take in as little children we know now how critically important those first few years of life are and what we say to our children with all best intentions right but what we say to our children is taken in by this little very very immature childish brain that has no way of putting it in context or saying, oh, no, 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 mom, you're wrong about me. I was just trying to play with this doll here. You know, we don't do that. But if we have someone saying to us, stop doing that now, what is wrong with you? Why can't you ever just do what I ask you to do? Then that goes in like data on software and the child if if the child hears it enough will take in there's something wrong with me i'm not good enough mm. i'm not doing it the right way so that then is stored in the amygdala which is the emotional memory center of our brain and as much as we know now about how plastic our brains are the amygdala never changes the amygdala holds all of those emotional memories, all the ones we have no conscious memory of. Yeah. And so when the child, and it's, and anybody can push our buttons, but nobody does it like our children because we don't have, uh, we don't have anyone else's future at stake like we do with our children. We don't love anyone on the planet as much as we love our children yeah and so it it just becomes so much more important so if my children if my child is upset about something and says you're stupid you don't know how to do this then if i i could say oh yeah lousy that you've got such a stupid parent isn't it yeah, I'm sorry. No big deal at all. Right. Or another parent is just going to see red and say, don't you 
ever talk to me like that, young lady. You are going to go to your room. You are not going to have blah, blah, blah. And we just explode, right? So what happens is an old emotional memory of mine from way back when that gave me the belief that I wasn't good enough or I was stupid or I didn't know enough to make something, you know, to do something. Yeah. That's going to get triggered and I'm going to react as if I were back in that place myself. Wow. So it's this almost instantaneous uh, regression emotionally. And it's we are, a knee-jerk, yeah. automatic reaction. And we assume that it's our child who is enraging us. Yeah. So, for example, in a, we'll elaborate uh, on this more, but if we take a camp-based example and you're supervising a group of kids who are having a wiffle ball game and maybe you're serving as the pitcher slash umpire and you make a close call at first base and Mm. the runner is safe Mm -hmm. and you get some pushback from some of the kids. They start arguing with you. You might have one staff member, camp counselor who could say, yeah, look, let's keep playing. I know that it was a close call and I call him as I see him. Uh, We don't have enough staff to have, you know, first base umpire, but uh, let's just keep going. Um, really, honestly, keeping score is not our goal here. Anyway, we're here to have fun or some other, right? You know, yeah, water rolling off a duck's back. I'm not taking this personally. It's not triggering right. a exactly memory, but exactly. you could have another staff member who could, as you said, see red, become enraged. Uh, Their authority react. is being questioned. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what a possible childhood memory might be behind uh, that staff member becoming enraged? It's not so much, I mean, yeah, there are memories, but most of us can't recall those memories, but we often can recall feelings. So um, it might be an emotional memory of um, um, never being never being listened to in your family, ah, okay. right? Your, your opinion doesn't matter. And here's a, here's a fresh contemporary example of your opinion not mattering. Not mattering, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So to take it on a more practical level before, uh, because it do, it's, there are different layers. There are lots of different layers of this. And sometimes... We get our buttons pushed, but it doesn't necessarily go back to an old belief. If we can understand this process and we can put it into practical use and switch our mindset and realize because of understanding about the child's temperament or understanding about the child's developmental stage that and and you can suddenly oh i don't have to take this personally this is this is okay this is no big deal and you can do it great yeah then you don't have to go back and and pay attention to all those emotional memories but if you still can't do it 
the it's the belief that's at the bottom. Yeah. So let me try to make this a little clearer. Okay. So typically what happens is when we react, we react in a way that either we know it's it's not effective or we have really gotten into a power struggle or something and we hate it, but we don't know what else to do. But we're yelling, we're threatening, we're, you know, reacting. And we assume that it is the fault of this child, right? My reaction is because this child has said or done this thing. And, um, and then there's a, the next piece, which is the, the emotion, because what we know is that if, if, the, if the behavior of the child is not actually the cause of our reaction, it is definitely the cause of our emotion. Yeah. Right? So if I get resentful or guilty or enraged or you know whatever is going on it's those emotions right that cause me to threaten or yell or punish or whatever it's how we feel but we're still usually stuck in that model of thinking but it's this child who's making me mad right so there's both the like the personal attribution Exactly. Um, it, it's it's an attack on me. It's it, and we're attributing blame to the child. There, right. okay. The blame is on the child. Yeah. And so, for instance, saying to a child, "You make me so mad," means that you, my child, are the reason for my emotions. Yeah. You have caused my emotions. And when you look at that, you realize that can't possibly be true. Or if you say, why do I have to yell 10 times to get you to do whatever I'm asking you to do? <laughs> Not, I just want to pause here and say, obviously, you and I have never said anything like that. But there are probably parents <laughs> out there who have and maybe some camp counselors and teachers who have, you know, <laughs> said this uh, most loved rhetorical, you know, question about how many times do I have to tell you? Right. Okay. All right. That's, right. Yeah. You know, right. Go on. Right. But I never have done that. <laughs> right. 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 So when you say that, the key word here is have to. Mm. Why right. do right. I have to? And what that indicates is that you, the child, are making me react. You. You are responsible for my reactions. You are responsible for my emotions. If it weren't for you, I could be a perfectly lovely parent or camp counselor or teacher. So it's like a double criticism. You're a bad kid because you're making me do this and you're the cause of this rage or disappointment. And, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, and, and and you're now now you're you didn't just do this bad thing like argue with me. Now you did a second bad thing, which is you made me really upset. Yes, and it's your fault, and you are responsible for me sending you to your room. Yeah, it's your responsibility. If you don't want to go to your room, then you change who you are. Right. Wow. 
and it's you you think it, at at some kind of primal level when we're young it 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 isn't explicitly said by let's say a teacher or a camp staff member or a parent that you as a child are defective in some way we don't usually say those words but that's the way that a lot but of that's the way a young child hears it yeah so one of the things i talk about in my book is this concept called the gap and the gap is the space between the adult and the child between the intention the adult is trying to teach the child yeah and the message the child receives so you may be again, with all best intentions, teaching your child to speak more politely. But if your button has been pushed by what the child has said, your intention goes down the drain, but what crosses to the child is a very, very loud and clear message. You are not okay with me. And then the child takes in what becomes the belief. Wow. So there is the magic, the magic um, piece in this, what I call the emotional chain reaction, which we never, ever think about. So instead of the behavior, the child's behavior causing my emotions or which then in turn provoke my reaction yeah what happens in between the behavior and the emotion is my thought so it all happens inside our own heads which means we have complete control over how we can change our reactions if we want to so if 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 that player in the game you were talking about, the example you were giving, yeah. if, if that player screams and yells at me, the umpire, and says, you don't know what you're talking about. I was safe. That was whatever. And I take that personally and get really upset. That means that once I heard that child... I made an assumption about that child. Hmm. The, assumption, the, the assumption I make is my thoughts, my, my judgment, my fears, yeah. my criticism. It's all what I think, and what I think is, to me, the truth with a capital T. Okay. So... I may think, you know, you entitled brat. I may think you can't ever just take what I have to say and be put it into the game and just take it. Yeah. I might think you were so far off, you didn't know, you don't know what you're talking about. I all kinds of thoughts, right? And it is those thoughts, so, so let's go with you entitled brat. <laughs> um, if I'm thinking, thinking that, then there is absolutely no way I am going to be understanding of this child's anger. 
at the call. Yeah. And I can't possibly say what you said. I can't possibly say, oh, yeah, I know. I, it's, it was a really, really close call. And, and let's just go on with the game because, uh, you know, I'm not a professional umpire here. And you might be right. I might be right. We don't know. But if I'm thinking something that causes me to feel enraged, then I'm going to react negatively, right? Yeah, then I'm going to yeah. yell at this kid. I'm going to kick him out of the game. I'm going to do whatever. But if I can understand, if I don't like my reaction, then I've got to understand that my reaction is caused ultimately by the assumption I made yeah. about this child. And so then I have to assess it, it's, it, you know, it's different in the, in the counselor camper relationship and the parent child relationship and the teacher student relationship. As I said, nobody has as much at stake in a child as a parent. Yes. And so a counselor and a teacher can be more objective, but that doesn't mean they don't get their buttons pushed. But if, um, if I want to change my reactions to the, to the child, because our goal is always to be understanding and compassionate. Yeah. And you did say a minute ago, if, if we don't like our reaction and that may be yes. the, the thing for teachers and camp professionals to kind of look for Yes. Sometimes we do need to be emphatic. We do need to be decisive. We do need to be enforcing rules or saying something that's unpopular. And if our emphasis, like as a waterfront director, I would often raise my voice if kids were running on the dock because I had a safety concern. But I, I would feel in those instances that my reaction was not over the top or disproportionate to what the concern was or the child's behavior or potentially remark or comment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, but I liked what you said because it gives us something to look for. If you're really right. not pleased with your own reaction. If you do, that's yeah. where you want to start. Okay. Because we don't, we don't take in this piece about the assumptions that we make. So, and you're not going to do this in the moment. You're not going to be able to change this in the moment for a while. Okay. The work is in reframing your assumptions. Okay. So what you want to do is start first with, I really overreacted. I screamed at this child and I could see the fear in his eyes or whatever. You know, I really don't like the way I reacted. That was not effective and it didn't get me what I wanted. So that's the easiest thing to look at first. Okay. Then you want to ask yourself, if I reacted that way, I must have been feeling. And that's the next easiest thing to, mm. to understand. I was enraged. I was, um, you know, any number of feelings. Or we got to label that emotion. If, yes. I, if I reacted this way, it must have been feeling X. Yeah jealous, resentful. Um, and you want to get, you're going to, you're probably going to start with angry, but 
you know, I always encourage parents to get more specific than Mm. that. But, you know, if you start with that, okay, so I was angry. So if I was so angry that I reacted this way, what must I have been thinking? The assumption. And that's when you get to the assumption. If I, and then I might realize I was thinking this kid is an entitled brat because he reacts this way all the time. And he is, he's an entitled brat. Well, that is not an observation. That is a judgment. Yeah. And so you want to change it to an observation and, and think, uh, it doesn't have to be, and it's an. This is this is another assumption, but it's but it's more of an observation. You're looking at it as a journalist. This child was called out at first base. He really, really wanted to make it to first base. He was really, really upset that I called him out. He believed that he was safe. Yeah. And when you can reframe your thinking to that, you can then have understanding and compassion, and then you can talk to that child, oh, like we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's a beautiful set of steps and connections that you were able to make that, that underlie this book and your course. And I think in you know, just in what you've said in 25 minutes, extraordinarily helpful to teachers, coaches, camp counselors, because they probably don't need practice knowing when their buttons are pushed. They probably need some practice noticing when they're unhappy with the strength of their reaction or the disproportionality of their reaction. And then Realized, they probably well, need. That was over the top. Yeah. yeah, and then they need a lot of practice, pausing afterwards, and in their minds, debriefing. Okay, so if I go through the steps and tell me if I'm missing any, uh, if I behaved this way, I must have been feeling, and then try to be explicit with some of the labeling of emotions, and if I felt that way, I must have been thinking this and do some more introspection about what that firmly held belief was at the moment. As you said, we are. Well, just your thought. You don't have to worry about the belief. Okay. Just your thought. I was thinking. Not yet. Yeah. Just your thought. What was I thinking? And the assumptions are about both the child and yourself. Oh, yeah. Like I'm someone who should be listened to, or I'm being paid to do this job. So they should listen. Or I'm the teacher. They should do the homework. Or I'm, I'm really lousy at this. I, I wasn't quick enough to make that call. So we can be very critical. Really, that's where we go first. Oh. I am really a lousy camp counselor. For parents, that is the first thing parents go to. Wow. I am a terrible parent. I, I should not. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. So suddenly you, well, I don't know how sudden it was, but with this insight and the writing and thinking that you did afterwards, you understood why this parent hesitantly raised their hand and said, uh, like, 
I want to still do this course, but I'm feeling worse, not better. Yeah, right. Wow. And, and in the book, I have a, a list of the four stages of parenting. It could be of anything. The first stage is unconscious incompetency. Mm. So that's when I don't even think about it. I just react and I don't care. I'm just being me. That's right. take it or, you know, take, take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. The second stage is conscious incompetency. And that's the stage that those parents were in when they said, now I feel worse than ever. And mm -hmm. it happens every time when I teach parents yeah. things, that you get to that place of, oh my God, now I know what I want to do, but I still can't do it. Wow. So it's conscious incompetency, and that can take a long time to get through. Yeah. The next stage is conscious competency which is when you're you're getting it you're getting it but you're on your you have to be on your toes all the time because it's really easy to slip back into those old patterns and old habits but if i keep working at it but it's exhausting yeah <laughs> you have to keep working at it and if you do keep working at it if you do keep persevering then the final stage is unconscious competency mm. when it's it's all your new automatics when you couldn't anymore open your mouth and yell at your child that they're being a brat or stupid or whatever you just wouldn't couldn't even conceive of saying things that you did a year ago yeah wow so there's hope there's hope oh there's always hope okay. so with my daughter um, I just want to put it into a really simple situation. I was in power struggles with my daughter every morning during uh, preschool with her one, not wanting to go. And I would just get furious with her. And we'd get into a fight. And what I realized in hindsight was that my assumption about her because every morning she would come out with the same look on her face and the same, and she'd stick out her bottom lip. And mm. it, it was like that for about three years. And I just, oh, I hated that lip. I just wanted to cut it off. <laughs> and I saw that face and every morning I thought, she is out to get me. Wow. She yeah. is yeah. determined to get me. She's doing this on purpose, right? And how many parents do I hear? They're just being manipulative. It's just to get attention. Well, of course yeah. it's to yeah. Anyway, with her, it was she's out to get me. And one morning after God knows how many mornings of this, nothing changed from her at all. Nothing. Same grumpy look, same lip sticking out, same complaint. I don't want to go to school and you can't make me. And I looked at her and I thought, wait a minute. She's not out to get me. She's miserable. And my, my wow. head yeah. did a 180 degree flip. A kind of epiphany. That's epiphany. It's a mindset shift. Yeah. And you got to keep working at this mindset. For me, that was it. The, 
I never engaged in another power struggle with her. I got it. I got her. I pulled her onto my lap. I, well, I know we don't have time for the whole story. The story is in my book. Um, but it changed everything. And she got it that I got her. And our relationship was, it was just, it was amazing what happened. That's such, I mean, the power of your empathy as a parent and uh, your, the moment when you were able to depersonalize this and move toward a totally different stage in the relationship where she felt understood yep. by you. Yeah. Um, and it I'm sure powerful. listeners are wondering like, how many more mornings did she come out with her pouty lip or was that also a transformation for her to feel so understood? It was a transformation for her as well. However, she was a really, really difficult kid to raise. And that's a whole other story. That's a whole other podcast. Oh, I'll have to have you come back to the podcast. (laughs) But when I got it, my relationship to her changed from trying to get her to change, trying to get her to be who I wanted her to be. Yeah. And instead I understood her and then how I had to change in order to meet her. And she was, she was not easy. She's, she was tough for eight years. Then I had a little reprieve and then 11 was the worst year I ever had with her. But teen years were pretty good. But it was all about me understanding her. We do not need to change our children. Our children are fine. We just need to be aware of the obstacles that we are putting in their way of being successful. And when we give them critical and judgmental messages about themselves, we are sending them down a a direction that we most fear for our kids and we can change it. We can do it. It all happens in our own head. Well, it's a doubly positive note to end on. Not only are our kids fine and beautiful and wonderful, (laughs) but we also, and and you said it, some can be more difficult temperamentally than others, but- way more parenting will always be a challenge but we have an opportunity here again not only is it reassuring to hear that our kids are going to develop in healthy ways um as long as we don't you know put these obstacles in front of them but the other very positive message is that we as parents can learn to undo some of the unconscious incompetency that we have that is really working at cross purposes with absolutely goal. absolutely well bonnie this has just been so insightful and i uh i mean i'm just delighted that you were able to be on the podcast today and i'm hoping that you'll come back again and we to. can talk okay we'll talk more because uh there's so much that uh the youth leaders that I work with in academic and in camp settings can learn from 
your insights and your guidance. Could you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the course and where people can find it and where they can find your books? Yes, sure. Well, my books are on Amazon and also on my website. And I also have a workbook that goes along with the Buttons book. There are a lot of exercises in the Buttons book, but at, quite a while after I wrote that, I developed a workbook, which has lots more in it. And so you, you learn from the, the book or the course, and then you put it into your own practical situations in the workbook. Oh, it's a great, so, great package. Yeah. And then, so for, I, the course that I teach, if I teach it locally, I teach uh, a two-hour course every week for eight weeks. Okay. It really should be longer because there's so much material. Um, and then the audio course is I had the opportunity to do this on the phone with parents from several different countries who were live participants on the calls. And I go through the work because that's what's so helpful is to hear me doing the work with these different parents yeah. with their issues. So if you buy the audio course, you get a free download. Well, free, it's part of the course. You get a download of the workbook. So you listen at your own pace you know, it's 12 hours long. Mm -hmm. So you do it however you want to do it. And you follow along with the workbook. And as I'm working with the people on the call, and I hear all the time, oh my God, that it's all the same issues. I identified so much with this woman and I identified so much with this one. And, and, you know, we've, we've all really basically got the same issues of fear that we're not good enough, you know, and it, it, affects us at different depth levels. Yeah. And it's wonderful that you are able to let parents eavesdrop, as it were, on yes, the work right. that you're doing with other parents, because as you said, they're going to identify with parts of what everyone has to say. And uh, to reiterate the point you made, we all have some deep-seated fear that we're going to be inadequate as parents. and. Yeah. Yeah. If people who are listening can, uh, I don't know, swallow their pride a little bit and recognize that fear, uh, the things that you have been able to codify and describe and the techniques that you advise in your course and your book, tremendously helpful to classroom teachers and to camp staff who, as you said, don't have the intimate investment in a child's lifelong development that a biological or adoptive parent would have, but do want to be competent, want to do be competent. have their buttons pressed. Right. So, and they want yeah. to make a difference in these kids' lives. Oh, and sometimes, sometimes, and you all know this, those of you listening, you can be the most important person in that child's life. Indeed. And as we know, if a child is very troubled and very traumatized or very hurt, what they need is one person to believe in them. And that can make 
all the difference in the world. And a camp counselor could be that person. A teacher can definitely be that person. And so it, it really, you know, I, get, I gave, when my book first came out, I was giving a talk somewhere to a large audience of people. And then I was talking to people afterwards and this woman came up to me and she said, well, I don't even have kids, but you just help me figure out the problem I've been having with my boss for the past six years. <laughs> yeah, sure. My spouse it's, or partner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there could have been a whole series, right? Well, when my spouse pushes my buttons, when my parent pushes my buttons, when my dog pushes my buttons. Yeah. Well, Bobby, <laughs> thank you so much for helping us be better, uh, at least have a shot at being that one reliable, warm, empathic adult in, yeah. uh, in a young yeah. person's life. I want to remind everybody, as we close, Bonnie's website is www.bonnieharris, so B-O-N-N-I-E-H-A-R-R-I-S, bonnieharris.com. She's also on Facebook, Connective Parenting. Bonnie's two books are When Your Kids Push Your Buttons, that's what we've been talking about today, and Confident Parents, Remarkable Kids, Eight Principles for Raising Kids You'll Love to Live With. So, Bonnie, I'm excited that you're willing to join us for another podcast. I'm super grateful that you were here today. Um, and for folks who are interested in your course or for uh, hiring you to speak or for uh, consultation, they can reach you through your website. Right, right. And also, I am working on my own podcast, which I'm hoping is going to be ready to launch in the spring called Roots and Wings. Fantastic. And it's, uh, you, you just mentioned the eavesdropping piece. It's another one that's going to be like eavesdropping. My, the episodes are going to be my sessions with parents. Oh, fantastic. On whatever yep. they're dealing with. So we're working through the problem roots and wings well we'll look forward to yeah. uh, hearing more about that and thank you again i'll look forward to speaking with you on another podcast bonnie thank all right you. thank you chris you've been listening to coffee with chris with me dr chris thurber you can listen to more terrific podcasts and learn about the work i do with schools and camps by visiting my websites drchristhurber.com prepforschool.com and prepforcamp.com Thanks for listening.